Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of the Ultra Crew Hub Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking with Graham and Corinne Shalvoy and their experience at the Canyons 100K, where Graham ran to a great finish. We're going to be discussing things like aid station logistics, crew logistics, and just overall a general sense of how well this race is from a crew's perspective and also digging into a little bit on how it is from a runner's perspective. So welcome and let's get started. I'm just so excited to chat with you guys because I um I know I don't really get to chat with other people or you know hear about crew adventures along this way and I'm not a huge runner myself so it'll be interesting to hear from your side Graham and Corinne as we kind of go over all this. So, we'll just let you kick it off if you want to have some sort of direction if you want to start into it. Yeah, so thank you for joining us today. The first recording. <laughs> Canyons 100K um, with Graham and Corinne Shalvoy. And so we would like to just go over, have a conversation about how the crewing aspect went of the race and how things evolved from the start to the finish and pre-race, post-race. And yeah, it just provides some information to the listeners out there to what they could expect and maybe some insider information and some tips and tricks to get their experience uh, rolling. So welcome. We appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Um, so why don't we start off with you guys kind of just giving a little bit of background. Um, Graham, we'll let you kind of go first and kind of explain to the to the listeners of what kind of runner you are, um, how many races you've done, where you guys are from, and then Corinne, kind of the same thing with you. I know that you're a runner as well, so um, you've kind of got some insight to chime in on this conversation as well. So um, Graham, we'll kind of let you take over and kind of give everybody uh, some insight onto who you are. Sure. Uh, so I'm Graham Shalboy, um, out of Castle Rock, Colorado, and I've been running ultras since 2018. So five years or so. Um, I think oh, yeah. the, I started with 50 K, which a lot of people do, and then kind of have worked my way up longer and longer. Uh, so Canyon's hundred K was my second hundred K, uh, but I've done multiple 50 miles and lots of 50 Ks, probably 15 ultras. Um, and then some other races kind of smattered in there as well. Have nice. you, have you, so you've never done a hundred miler? I, Not I've yet. <laughs> I've never finished one. Uh, yeah, I ran Havelina two years ago, two and a half years ago, and I actually had to drop out at 65. So, hey, third hundred K. Um, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so, PR, yeah, PR is hundred K. But yeah, I uh, right. ended up dropping out. I, I got I was on the border of kind of having a heat stroke at Apollina. Um, oh, wow. So, uh, Which yeah. I feel like is very common. Yeah, especially at that race. I got really sick for mm -hmm. a really long time. Um, so, but yeah, mostly I've done the 50 mile and 100K distance. Um, I've got Leadville 100 coming though. So that will be my first. Awesome. Oh. Yeah, I mean, that is a whole nother package to open because that is a fun conversation to have about Leadville. Have you guys ever done Leadville? Either yeah, I've run it. Yep. Yeah, Corinne. Oh, yeah. See, that's a that I feel like that is a whole other conversation to have because that is a fun, um, 
piece yes. of information to divulge into that I think a lot of people don't know about. <laughs> so once you open that box of things and people are like, oh yeah, that was good to know, or I wish I would have known. So, mm-hmm. and then Corinne, what about you? I mean, you want to yeah, give a little. So, um, yep. Corinne Chalvoy, um, also <laughs> Castle Rock, <laughs> originally from San Juan's and Uray. And I uh, have been also running ultras about the same time. So Graham and I kind of got into this sport together around 2018. Um, and for a while he was ahead of me in the distance category. And then I ran a hundred K and <laughs> before he ran a hundred K. And so, uh, yeah, so I've run three now and I've run 100 miler. I ran Leadville, um, 2021, 2021, we ran it together. <laughs> yeah. We just didn't know each other at that time. I had no idea. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Awesome. Well, right on. Talk about that. Um, but yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm running my second hundred miler this year at Run Rabbit Run in September. So looking forward to that. So um, my my question to everybody when they when they sign up for these races, like my husband Mason, who is sitting right next to me, uh, he kind of has a problem with signing up for races mm-hmm. that he signs up for way too many a year. So I didn't know like what I, this is all new for us as well, or for me, I should say, um, being that he just got into this in 2020. Do you guys have like a number set every year for how many to, to race? You know, like I know a lot of people are like, Hey, this is my one 100 this year. And this is what I'm sticking to. Do you guys have a set goal for every year or is it just whatever kind of the wind takes you and what kind of comes through the door? Sure. Um, so I'm I'm a planner. Um, it yeah. is kind of my okay. happy place. Um, so what I usually do is I kind of pick an anchor race. Um, so this year was going to be Leadville because I got a coin last year at the marathon. Um, nice. So what I do from there is I have my whole kind of race year kind of revolve around that. So I, I hadn't run 100K in a while, so I wanted to get a long race early season just to make sure from a mental standpoint and from a you know physical standpoint, I was kind of ready for that long distance. And then I've got two 50Ks leading up to it that I'm going to use as training races um, through Aravipa. Um, and then I'll do Leadville. And then after Leadville, let's see how my legs feel and maybe I'll yeah, do right. another one, but I don't want to like commit to something until I, I figure out how I'm going to feel after that one. Yeah, I like it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's always that's always good to know because I never I never know. He just throws himself in all these hundred milers, <laughs> and he's like, "We'll just see how it goes." So, I mean, I have no real concept of reality. Corinne, are you kind of the same way? Well, I, so yeah, I think there are people that are um, maybe slightly different from Mason, who <laughs> likes to run multiple hundred milers a year. That concept to me is pretty daunting, and I'm definitely not there yet. Um, so I used to race quite a bit when I was running shorter distances and, you know, could do eight or 10 races a year if they were sub ultra or 50 Ks. Um, I mean, I think one year I did three 50 Ks in the year, maybe a hundred K as well. That's like a big year. So for me, so I tend to, I think, think about like, what is my goal for the year in terms of like, are there races that I really want to experience. The last year I wanted to run canyons and CCC. And those were like, I wanted to 
I just, their bucket list race, there were races I really, really was excited about and wanted to focus on. Um, so I did build my year kind of around those two. Um, it, it usually starts with like, yeah, what, what type, what races are kind of inspiring me, whether it's the competition or the route, the course, the, you know, environment, different things like that. And then I kind of build around that, but I also try to build out a year. And I think with our sport getting more and more busy, like gonna have to start building out multiple years in advance for some things right now um with how quickly oh, they fill sure. up so yeah so that's kind of how i do it but i would say like if i'm running long distances maybe i'll run you know um i don't know maybe between four and six races a year something like that and then uh obviously that's dependent upon if you're healthy too so yeah. sure right right so do you guys um do you guys have kids we do. We have two kids, yeah. we have two, two boys, eight and 11. Okay. So, so that, I mean, that plays a huge role when you try yeah. to map out these races, especially when both of you are runners. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know we have a, we have a four and an eight year old and thank yeah. the Lord for grandparents because we just did that cruel jewel. And that was five, <laughs> six days of being away, yeah. you know? So I know that plays a huge part with, uh, with planning these throughout the year. So and maybe that's why I planned so many is just to get away from the kids for <laughs> a week at a time. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're on to something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so, so I got a question though. When you, when you look at these races, do you also take into consideration the crew aspect, the <laughs> area that the, the event is in, so to speak, um, logistic, yeah. logistically wise, because yeah. I've looked at some races and have wondered, yeah, it looks like a fun race, but I'm going to be camping in a field for a week or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I, I, that that definitely is something that I take a lot into account. Um, like I looked at Mogan um, down in the Arizona area. And as I started looking, I mean, it's mm -hmm. a hard rock qualifier. It looks like something I'd excel at. It's supposed to be super hard. But man, it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, and from a crew standpoint, yep. it's hard to get the crew down there. Plus, it, you know, they'd be coming from Colorado most likely. So it would probably be a really logistical nightmare. And I, I mean, I don't want to do <laughs> for races. I mean, oh, I'm, well, story. Yeah. yeah, we'll stay tuned because I ran and DNF to Mogion last year. And I crewed it, it solo. Crew. <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. Very rough. Totally. Yeah, I mean that. But it's a great race. It's beautiful. The Mogian Rim is awesome. It is gorgeous. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And sometimes I think when you're, you know, if you're parents or if you're, you know, super busy or you have a, a partner who is also very, very busy or sometimes those kind of races, like if you're super passionate about them, you just think about, do I want to do this solo and like, and rely on just a season yeah. and then just drop <clears throat> like, is that maybe the best option? Right. Eliminating that stressor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I, mean, well, I totally get it. I, I feel like everybody's kind of in the same boat with that. Yeah, for sure. I, I crewed Corinne at CCC and that had its own uniqueness of having to go to multiple countries to crew, which is. Yes. Um, so I dropped her in Cormier, Italy, had to show the passports <laughs> and get across the border and then drive back to Chamonix, passports at the border. And then went into oh. Switzerland, uh, crew at Champé-Lac, which didn't require wow. passport, strangely enough. Uh, hmm. But it had all these logistics and all kinds of stuff that you had to kind of go through. And I almost missed her at Champé-Lac uh, because of it. So, yeah, I mean, 
there's all kinds of stuff that kind of goes into crewing. Yeah. And I think that's a big deterrent for a lot of people. I mean, that's a whole nother level, Graham, of like (laughs) dry country involvement with racing. Um, And I think, I mean, obviously that plant takes a lot more planning than just, hey, where are we going this weekend? You know, kind of thing. And printing aid stations off frantically the last minute. But um, And I think one thing we found was that going into some of these races and not understanding that aspect of it, mm -hmm. because You just get on the trail and you run head down, headlamp on, whatever it is. You just take off all the markers, but for the crew to have a rough experience or to be frustrated or miss something or not know where they're going. Yeah. That can be stressful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we should dive right in because I have so many questions for you (laughs) after looking at this, um, the race course and kind of the things that I feel like from a crewing standpoint, I would like to know. Um, and you know, even if we give one person just some insight, whoever listens to this, I think Mm -hmm. we've done our job because I think that's a huge, um, win for people who listen to this and just kind of relieving some of that stress because I mean, it's from the starting line to the finish line and everything in between. So I think, um, let's kind of dive in, in the sense of, kind of what so this is the the 100k and it's a utmb part of their series is that correct me if i'm wrong right it's a a world world series event yeah okay and maybe you guys can give a little insight i mean there was probably obviously some reasoning behind why you picked this um so if you guys want to give some insight of you know what this course is about the climb the gain you know the terrain kind of anything like that and then we'll just kind of go from there because i feel like a lot of people may be listening and not a lot let's be real some people may be listening and um probably have no idea and maybe that'll jumpstart some interest to run this race sure yeah so i mean i can start because i picked it for kind of a specific reason that was twofold one uh so Corinne ran it last year and it looked awesome I mean, it was mountain running, which I really, really enjoy in an area that I'd never run. Plus, it's on part of the Western States course, which um, was really cool. And, you know, I wanted to experience that. Um, Interestingly enough, about a month before, they sent out an email saying, hey, there's eight feet of snow at the finish line. So we're not going to go up there. (laughs) So that was kind of a shock because it was originally 16,000 feet of vert, which I was excited about. And then it dropped to like 10,500, mm-hmm. I think is what it ended up being. And it was, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to sign up for it cause it looked cool, but I think secondarily um, I wanted the running stones for UTMB um, cause I've tried to get into UTMB or CCC mm-hmm. the past oh, geez, like three or four years and I never could get in. Um, so that was really important to me is just being able to finish this race and get the the stones. And since it's a world series race, it's double stones. So there was all kinds of pieces to it to kind of lead in the UTMB. Uh, so those were kind of the primary reasons for wanting to do it originally. And then I think I was going to do it solo. Uh, I wasn't going to bring crew, uh, but Corinne was able to um, leave her job about a month before then. And I was like, oh, hey, you got some time now. You're like, Come on, this got nothing else to do. Let's do they it. Yeah. That. So it, uh, it worked out great um, in that regard. Uh, and it's nice to have company when you're, especially when you're away from home and all that stuff. So um, sure. yeah, so yeah, those absolutely. are some things for starting to look at this race. So it starts in Auburn, 
right. starts and finishes this year's course starts and finishes in Auburn. Yep. yep. And I'll just add in so that it's, it's an out and back. Where was it a circle? Yeah, or what, it's what do you guys kind of loops. It, it loops all oh, over okay. the place. It picks up um, uh, way too cool course and the American River 50 course and then some yep. other trails. Awesome. Yeah, I think even some of the formidable possibly OTK course. But also, there were so many people attending this event because not only is it double stones, top 10 instead of top three in each event are automatically qualified for UTMB World Series or the UTMB finals in Chamonix. And then it's a golden trail or a golden ticket race, sorry, golden ticket race as well. So top two in the 100K go to Western States. Um, it's a Western States qualifier for the 100 mile and the 100K. And then they've recently instituted as UTMB, the organization, um, they've changed their rules where you finish this race and you can actually enter the lottery for a distance above or below the distance that you did. So they've expanded it. It's, it's just kind of, I know people that walked this race so that they could just get the stones. Get the um, ball. Yeah, for sure. There were a lot of people there just, you know, kind of just to, to take advantage of that. Okay, I want to interrupt because I am so novice to all this. When you, I've heard a lot of words being used before, but I've never heard stones. Yeah, <laughs> you what? This is the things called stones. They're kind of like your your points. lottery tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I mean. I've heard points. I've heard tickets. I've heard all those other things. But you just brought in a whole new vocabulary, it's, and I'm sorry that I don't know. I'm. It's you know, just the just European. Just, is it UTMB lingo? Token for calling. It's just stones. It's yeah. like points or yeah. entries. Yeah. It's they just call it stones, and so that just okay. All right. Translates. Don't worry over if here. you're confused. All right. Well, we have one person. Everybody else. Is <laughs> okay, that's great because I I don't want to I don't want to fake like I know what I'm talking about here because you're gonna have people that may listen to this and be like, uh huh, just shake their head and nod like, uh yeah, for sure, sure. For sure. I kind of know what they're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. So, so now that you've chosen the race mm -hmm. and I mean, prior to getting there at the start of the race, how much time and effort did you spend into the lead up on finding a place to stay where you were, you know, the logistics behind crewing the race now that Corinne was going to be able to join you? I mean, how much effort did you put into that lead up and did you find it to be a simple process? I know Auburn's pretty hectic in general. It's mm -hmm. close to Sacramento. Um, was it was it easy? Was it hard? Simple? Find an easy place to stay, um, and 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 that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I booked. So I, I got into the race in December. Um, so I had some time, mm -hmm. and I also got in. I think before a lot of others got in. Um, so okay. I booked. There's like one hotel. It's like a Holiday Inn in Auburn, and I really wanted to stay mm -hmm. there. I've heard mm -hmm. multiple people like the spot because it's walking distance to the start line. It's just logistically very, very easy. And it's only, there's only one. Okay. So um, I booked that thing way early. It is pretty expensive um, for yep, a home. They always are. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but I got it and, you know, it made it very, very convenient. Um, and then we rented a car in the Sacramento airport. The Sacramento airport's piece of cake. It's really, really easy. Mm -hmm. um, so that one hotel piece was the big thing. And we knew a number of people who stayed at like Airbnbs, which I think would be fine too. Um, yeah, except you stayed like in the middle of nowhere. I stayed in the middle where, of nowhere. <laughs> where did you stay, Corinne? I mean, we lived in Folsom, so we're familiar the about, yeah, with the, the area. And, and the race itself is that like, 
even if it looks on the map like a different little town, the little towns that are kind of in the area here, even if it looks like it's like 10 minutes away, you have to go all the way down the canyon, winding, mm -hmm. yep. and it takes like 20 or 30 minutes. So I can't even remember the name of the town, but I stayed in a very, very tiny town that was like, ended up being like 40 minutes away from Auburn. Oh. Um, and that aye, was, aye, aye. and it wasn't near, it was past cool. So it was, it was a little oh, bit wow. difficult um, and not fun for after the race. Okay. When I to go back. <laughs> and that was when she ran it. Obviously she stayed with me when she yeah. uh, came yes. out this time to curl. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm trying to think we lived in Folsom for, cause I worked for a company out of Sacramento and we lived in Folsom for almost three and a half years. Yeah. And this was oh, wow. okay. long, a long time before I ever became a runner and living there for three and a half years, I didn't even know Western States existed. And I was right <laughs> at the foothills and had no idea yeah. if I would have lived there okay. knowing Western States would have been a different story, but <laughs> No clue. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, so kick it off to, um, no. So my question was, was, um, I have a question about the gear recommendations or the gear recommendations and requirements. So people who kind of get into this race, um, before the, before the start even happens, you know, there's packet pickup, right. And then for those requirements, I kind of give us like, how that is it super serious? Is it just something they're kind of just poking in your bag and looking at, or how does that all go down? And when does that all go down? Um, yeah. So at packet pickup in theory, they're supposed to check out your bag. Um, they didn't check mine. Um, so, I mean, they have oh. all these warnings on there. Like if you're found, you know, to be deficient yeah. while you're out there, you know, you could be disqualified from the race or whatever. Um, I, I never got mm -hmm. checked. Um, now with that said, um, I know for UTMB specifically, your bag got checked in Chamonix, but I, I don't know how strict yeah. they'll be in the future, but it was one of those things that I noticed everybody did carry it. Everybody had a headlamp and a jacket, even though it was 90 degrees and the jacket was ridiculous to Correct. carry, um, yes. weather like that. Right. Um, so, I mean, it just seemed a little over the top, but you know, I'm sure there's an insurance requirement on UTMB and that's how they get, you know, get around it. Um, so yeah, I never got checked, but I did carry it and I noticed pretty much everybody else did too. Yeah. And I, I understand that a lot of people are in there doing it for their own safety because I mean, it's not an, it's not an awful idea to have that, that on hand. Um, and it is, you know, what do they say? A liter of hydration, a headlamp and some batteries, a jacket and a hat. So um, you know, I think that's just a very common thing to carry in general. And that equipment is on person. That's not something that is in a drop bag or accessible by crew because yeah. for example, cruel jewel had mandatory gear, but it had to be like a headlamp, at least in a drop bag is what they stated. Mm -hmm. So not on my person, okay. but somewhere accessible. So, and again, they didn't check. They didn't check either. No. So, I mean, that's just one thing I've always been curious about because you watch some of those YouTube videos of UTMB in Europe and they're very strict. I mean, there's yeah. like that line that you go through and they're poking around like TSA. So, so I just didn't know if, if that was kind of the same with it being stateside. So, so circling back to, to the hotel and you guys, did you, how many days in advance did you arrive and did you scout the course? Did you 
take a drive crew wise to figure out the the stations and stuff or uh no uh this was a pretty quick trip uh so we arrived friday (laughs) at 10 a.m so day before the race and went over to pack a pickup ate lunch chilled out ate dinner did a shake out uh we did do a shake out through auburn ran the auburn track where the western state finishes which was really cool um nice yeah so like aside from like viewing the first mile and a half we went down to where it leaves the road and hits Western States trail. Um, okay. So I saw that piece, but everything else was brand new. Awesome. And uh, lunch and, 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 and food wise was, was Auburn up to par with yeah. easy really food good. selections and really choices. Good. And oh, awesome. yeah. wow. There were, were a bunch of, um, what was the name of that deli? or kind of their sandwich shop we ate at it's something like it has like healthy food in the name i believe and um anyways it's i think they had a lot of vegan options uh, as well as vegetarian options and stuff like that neither of us are are vegetarian but there were options for that and then we ate twice at the same pizza restaurant (laughs) um nice it was really before and after the race um i'll find the name of it but yeah there were multiple pizza places lots of i mean yeah lots of good food lots of options oh that's good to know because that's huge especially when you're getting there on packet pickup and the night before is (laughs) i know one of our (laughs) go-to sandwich shops and i i was almost under the impression you were going to say beach hut deli that was one of our go-to's when we lived there no not that one not that that one doesn't ring a bell Mm -mm. nice awesome so then so then from there um I think the race started 7 a.m., correct? No, actually or started at 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Oh, good morning. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> Hence why the Holiday Inn is priced at what it was, because they're familiar with that timeline. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, it's kind of like Leadville, a nice 4 a.m. start. And yeah. staying close yeah. is crucial. Yeah. We stayed at Copper Mountain, and that was a 2.30 wake-up call. Oh, no. Yeah, we, we've stayed, stayed there before. We've stayed at Copper. Uh, luckily, we have yeah. a couple of friends who have houses up there now, so we're we're going to um, be right next to the start finish, which would be great. Oh, that is nice. nice. I mean, it's all about who you know sometimes. Okay, yeah. so 5 a.m. start. 5 a.m. start. I think the first aid station was 6.2-ish from the That's start. No. Yep. yep, it's called Cool One. Cool One. So, yeah, and, we're in the town of Cool. So Corinne, did you watch the start and then gas it up to the first crew location? Gosh, yeah. That's a quick turnaround for you, Corinne. Yeah. Yeah. I got there in plenty of time. Um, yeah, it's not very far. Um, might be like a 15 minute drive out of town over to Cool. Yeah, that's nice. So um, yes, I watched the start, videoed the start, and then um grabbed some coffee. Actually I had time to grab coffee and then (laughs) drive over to Cool. Oh, good. And you can park a couple places at that first aid station, either either place that you park right next to the aid or on the other side in kind of a big open lot with, where there's some shops and stuff like that. Um, either way, you're basically on one side or the other of the aid station. So all I had to do was walk across a little land bridge um, over to the field where the, the aid station was set up. Um, I did have... A, Amanda Basham was also there getting her two little tiny kids all ready to go. And she was like, okay. I was like, do you need help with the stroller? And she's like, well, if I get stuck, 
on this on that little grass <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just yell out so i don't know if you have you know if you have kids she seemed to get over there fine so it wasn't technical and it was like yeah maybe maybe 10th to a quarter of a mile of a walk to get to that one and that's pretty cool okay. because everybody's there you see the front runners and then you are able to crew there twice once at 6.4 and then you stay there and then they cut, they go out and do the KT climb. Um, KT climb was before then. It was before it. Oh, sorry. Okay, they go out and do whatever a loop of some sort. Yeah. And they come back at thirteen. Fourteen. Yeah. Right, but like fourteen three. I think fourteen three, something like that. Something, yeah. yeah. So you can see them twice. Yeah. So, um, from our the crewer inside of me is wanting to know when you how you got to that first aid station. Is that a good road to ride on? Is it Bumpy, are you are you sitting on just paved roads the whole way up, or oh yeah, it's pavement. I mean, to sweet, yeah, you're just basically on a you know a major road. Um, yeah, and okay, and then is so, that aid station? Is it like you said? There's two ways to park, but is it um, park and you're going to be carrying stuff in? So like, bust out a wagon, or are you just grab a bag and go? You could, but being so early in the race, um, he didn't need. I didn't even stop the first time. I just waved. <laughs> okay, nice. Kiss and fly. <laughs> Maybe some yeah. people did, but I got it. And I did mean, you hand me your headlamp? I couldn't. I had. To, I couldn't. I had to keep wearing. It was so dark. She I was in to it to win it. She was ready. She was ready. I'm out. But, yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, it was so quick. that first aid. I mean, it's you could not have crew at that aid station easily. I I certainly didn't use it. I suppose if you were like way towards the back of the pack and it took you a couple hours to get there yeah maybe you might use it but i got there pretty okay. quick right so. well and that's a huge question like grandma are you a front of the pack middle of the pack runner Probably so towards, i think i was in 15th when i got there 15th 16th oh nice what was what was the head count did you guys get a head count on how many runners there were 680 was oh. what i had heard wow. um, i don't know if that yeah there really started yeah. yeah well i know there were a few of the elites that did drop from the hundred down to the hundred k because yeah. of yeah. i think the snow was mm -hmm. a little bit higher so there may have been more mm -hmm. of the people that we didn't hear about dropped to the hundred k so yeah the numbers would have increased so i mean Corinne, would you would you if if graham ran i'm sorry if graham ran that again would you skip that first aid station like do you find it kind of Moot no, to stay there when you go to the second one. I think it's fun. I think you get to see the very front of the race. You get to get an idea of where your runner is relative to the whole pack. And you get to stay there twice for two. So you kind of get to meet some other people that are out there crewing. Um, it's a little bit of a community feel. And it's mm -hmm. um, I would say bring a jacket, <laughs> even though this was record temps this year, hanging out and just standing around at that first aid station, I was cold. So like puppy jacket, hat, cause you're yeah. just standing there for Cause what while. time, what time is that? Six. Yeah. S yeah. 6am. I mean, it can be a little bit chilly in those yeah. foothills. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's good to know. That's good insight, Corinne. Cause that's, that's, I mean, people don't think about that. Yeah. Um, so at these aid stations, I mean, the facilities for crew in the aspect of like, make sure you go to the bathroom before you get there or do they have so at something that, set up? One and two aid station, there was one building with one bathroom. So you could okay. use that. You could use that facility. There was 
there was a little bit of a line right when everybody got there, but in general, it was pretty accessible and it's like a hundred yards from where you're setting up your little station or whatever. Um, okay. I carry a, like a really big, like I got this really big Cotopaxi open tote and has like a bunch of pockets in it. And that's what I used to okay. bring over because he was just going to want a vest at uh, the second stop that he was there. So I just carried everything in like a big tote. Because I started with just handhelds and no vest. Well, that's smart. Smart. Was that was there a lot of climbing for you? Did it feel like there was big climbing or not too bad? Yeah. So like the first, so after you do the start, it's a downhill all the way to No Hands Bridge. And then coming out of No Hands Bridge is a thousand foot climb in like about a mile. It's very, very steep. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very much like hiking. Um, and then it's like- Is little- it switchbacks or is it straight up? Yeah, no, it's switchbacks. Um, okay, and then you get to the top and it's like this in through these fields with big like nut trees. It's really pretty um, right about sunrise. Um, and then you come into the cool aid station and then you drop again and you go way down. Uh, I think like 1500 feet and then you come back straight up with 1500 feet. Um, so <laughs> it's yeah, it's a lot of climbing, a lot of descending um, in that first section. Okay. So yeah, a pack. I mean, that's how you did cruel. You didn't do, you didn't do a pack the first bit, which was fine. I mean, I think, a lot of people don't think about, you probably don't need a pack, but the first. Yes. And that's uh that's good to know. So then it, the second time around you grabbed a pack. How was that aid station Corinne on what? 14 or getting 14, there yeah. and kind of the situation for parking. Yeah. Oh, so, so 14 is, is you're still at cool. You just stay there you the whole time. Yep. You're still there. Oh, yeah, oh that's a crewing there. dream. Yeah. So Oof. it's very okay. nice. I mean, you don't really need to do much except for cheer and be like, good job at the sixth uh, mile or when they first come in. But then at 14, you just you just stay there. So I got to hold baby Leo Roach a bunch because Megan and David Roach were there. Oh, nice. That's awesome. People um, just hanging out. And then, uh, yeah, when he came back in, I I screwed him. Um, And you, you maybe spent five minutes, maybe less, two or three. So we were, we were trying to be pretty quick, um, emptied trash, gave you your vest, told you where things were in your vest, but this was the important aid station because, uh, after oh this, gosh. I was not going to see him for 34 miles or be able to that crew him. Crazy. Yeah. Be able to crew him for 34 miles. Yeah. Yeah. Because what does it have? Two, four, five aid stations in between. So there is yeah. aid, obviously just not crew Just not crew access. Yeah. Correct. So I, and back up you're not quick. allowed to do, I did, I did try to go see him. I did see him at a couple of spots. So I kind of went and just spectated and checked out how he was doing and just cheered. You're not allowed to give him anything though. Yep. Provide him anything. Yeah. Yep. And real quick in talking with Corinne, you mentioned that you were at the aid station and, and held the roach roaches baby and stuff. <laughs> I think that's fun. And I kind of miss that as a runner. Because you get to hang out, you meet a ton of cool people, you see all the runners come through, you see happy faces, you see <laughs> carnage, you see all sorts of stuff that we don't get to see on the race course. And I think that's, I think that's fun. You build a lot of friendships, meet a lot of fun people. See yeah, a lot community of- is huge when you're doing this. Yeah, it's awesome. Because, I mean, like the 100 milers, you find the first couple aid stations, you're then set with that group of yep. People that group as your runners maintain. Yeah. So you get to know. And it's and, good information for new 
crew members and runners because yeah. I think it could be intimidating for a you know a wife or a friend to be rolling into a crew aid station for their friend's first race and not know how inviting that community is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think everybody's that's willing a, to good. help out. I mean, you constantly see people helping crew other people at times, right? So that happened to us later. I can talk to that later, but um, you also learn a lot as a runner. So I definitely would, if you, if you're a runner and you have never crewed, I think that there's a lot to be learned from being on the other side as well um, of observing, like you said, so many other runners, what they do, but then like you just know how to interact with your crew better when you're a runner because you've done both. So I feel like that's That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you got to see him at 40, 40, 48. Well, the next one was 48. Yeah. So in between, mm-hmm. what what was that experience yeah, like? Yeah, what did you I mean, do, did you out of cruel for a little <laughs> while? I know how long it takes me to go that far. So I know she's going to probably take a nap or something. <laughs> yeah. So I did, I was supposed to run that day. So okay. I thought that would be a good time to get my run in. Um, Heck yeah. And- I actually decided to go run and try to get up to Brown's bar to be able to see him. And that's one thing, like when you're at the um, No Hands Bridge aid station, you go up a road, like you're going back to Auburn, back to the finish. And they told me where to go, but I didn't realize there was a split. So you can go right over No Hands Bridge, which is back to the finish line, back to Auburn, or you can go left up to Brown's bar. I missed that turn. So I ran. I just ran up the road and I was like, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? <laughs> and then I saw the 50K finishers, saw Hayden Hawks come rolling through and um, decided that like I was just going to watch the 50K finishers because I was obviously in the race. Okay. Um, also, like an interesting story is that I also came across, um, there was like, you know, there's some a little bit of single track before you get back onto a wide road. And there was a 25K runner who was laying down in a creek, um, people all around him, um, and was totally heat exhausted. They actually had to call in medics um, and the the ambulances and all these, you know, the police came down and um, had to kind of take that person out. But just, I guess, you know, even people in the 25K were really suffering from the heat pretty early in the day. So just, um, this was an unusual year, but that was kind of unfortunate to, to come across, but I think he was okay. Um, uh, just, they just needed yeah. to get him out, but wow. yeah, it was crazy. And that, yeah. I mean, he must've been flying too. I mean, trying to get that, that about, type of exhaustion already settling in it before you're yeah. Yeah. done at 25 K. I mean, I could imagine somebody coming from, I don't know, Minnesota <laughs> to run the Canyons hundred K and yeah. not being acclimatized to heat. Mm-hmm. It'd suck your soul. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, I so did, Corinne, you went did, for a run, you kind yeah, of went did your run, own little thing. Heard on some 50 K runners, sent some pictures to free trail who was out there doing commentary, <laughs> um, just giving them Intel into where people were for the front of the 50 K race. And then I, um, went back down and kind of just hung out at no hands bridge. And I actually saw him at no, when he came back to no hands to yep. 40 miles. Okay, How really. long did that take you Graham? Um, to get to no hands. Yeah. From like, how much time did you have Corinne between Graham's rolling out of the aid station and then coming back in? Do you remember? So it's, 
I think I left um, Cool 2 about 7.30, and I ended up at Driver's Flat. Um, 7.30 a.m. Yeah. 7.30 a.m. I ended up at Driver's Flat about 1 p.m. So it was a long time. Okay. Nice. Stiff. Yeah. Solid. And remind everybody that he's a front of the pack runner. <laughs> some people, some people are, you know, probably rolling in around four, three or four. So, yeah. Okay. So, so Corinne, you went mm-hmm. for a run. Any, any, anything else along that path to get to the next crew access? Easy travels? Oh yeah. You had lunch. to travel, didn't you? Did you have to travel to that 40 well, something so or was that the same back, aid station? I drove back from cool to Auburn. I actually think I went into the hotel okay. and changed for the run. Smart. Um, got okay. some stuff, and then I drove back out and down to the no hands area to park for the run. So that was probably, that probably took to drive from Auburn down to no hands bridge with a lot of people also going there um, was maybe 25 minutes. So, okay. um, not so awful. that's not too bad. It's not, it's kind of all right there. Um, but I found a spot on the road. Um, everyone was parking just along the road. And so I found a spot there. I think I just kind of chilled out for a little bit and then I got out, cheered, went and ran, came back. Um, oh, I went in right after cool. I went into Auburn and got, or one of the places on the way back and got some, like a breakfast sandwich. So also had time to get some food yeah so they're so they have that option there so if you know crew is waiting you have a chance you have a chance to grab something around that area there's other options or is it just like oh there's one or two there were a number of places that you could get food and there's a starbucks and there's a local bakery kind of place um all right nearby the the coffee shop in cool was to actually close I did drive up to it, walked up to the door, and it was closed. And, and I'm they like, were closed. <laughs> <laughs> they drink coffee later now, in the day. <laughs> now, closed permanently or closed just because it, you know, they're going to go watch the race like and not permanently open. closed. Didn't look permanently okay. closed. So we'll see. No, I don't know. Maybe they just open later. <laughs> so, so parking wise, along the areas where crew were to access their runners. Was it, I mean, it was a free for all, but were there words of, you know, be careful for a service or issuing fines or the sheriff? No, or... It seemed pretty kosher to just along the road when there, where there okay. was enough spots to park there and nobody was getting tickets or anything. So I think yeah, it was just, nice. if you get there early enough, or if you get there in the right time, somebody might be leaving. Um, you might've had to walk down. If you wanted to go see people at no hands, you might've had to, you know, park up the road and walk down, you know, up to maybe like a quarter mile, but it wasn't okay. bad. And again, awesome. you I think that's kind there, of, so you're not carrying stuff. So good. Yeah. I think that's kind of important because if you're trying to park and you're not sure if you're going to get a ticket or not, you have to walk a quarter mile away from your car. You'd hate to come back and have, have it hooked and towed or something like that. Right. So yeah. I think that's good to know that. Yeah. Parking's pretty simple. Yeah. Just off the yeah. side of the road, I'm assuming. Yep. Okay. So, so you're at that station twice, the first one. The first and one then, twice. And then you had to roll out to the next one, right? To catch him at 40. And she saw me at No Hands Bridge, but that's not technically a crew spot. She just went down there to kind of yeah. view. 
It wasn't until mile For sure. 48. Yeah, but that's a good insight too, because, you know, I always want to catch him sometimes like secretively off the, off the cuff and kind of be like, hi, you know, you can't really, sometimes it's a big, you know, no, no, but. No hands is a better place to, to cheer and, and see your runner than trying to go. If you want, like I tried to go up to Brown's bar and obviously I got lost or didn't take the right turn, but you would have to run up a mile and a half or two miles up a trail to get to that to that viewing point or that you know spectating spot so no hands is much more conducive to just cheering um and then from no Mm -hmm. hands there's actually a couple of there's a couple of other areas um that you could see your runner before the next crew aid station which is driver's flat um so yeah i can go into that if you want to go there next yeah go for it i mean we're just kind of yeah so driver's driver's flat is the next crew access spot. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's 48.4. Yep. Yeah. looks like it. Yes. Okay, cool. Awesome. Very, yeah. Yeah. Very. Sweet. And one thing to note is that they do close the road that you could, the, the most, the quickest way to get to driver's flat was closed. So that was okay. something I was like, Oh, uh, all of a sudden this road is closed. I hope there's another way to sure. get to driver's flat. And luckily there was, um, but basically no hands bridge is sitting there. If you go down into the Canyon and you were to take a right, this is a road that the runners go up and they closed it. And that would be the gotcha. quickest way to, way to get to driver's flat and you can't access it. So you have to go back up the Canyon all the way back into Auburn basically <laughs> and take forest Hill road, which goes around at the top. And then you can get to driver's flat and it's still not too far, but it's definitely a lot longer than it would be just to go on the, the, the main road, the quickest road. Okay. I have a two part question to that statement. Um, is that when it was closed, is that, was that not something they told you or is that something they told you? And then you kind of got to the point and you were like, Oh, or was it something that's like, it's closed due to something else that just happened? No, or- it was closed for the race. And okay. it may well have been noted in the crew stuff, but I didn't read it or notice it before. And okay. I think also that, yeah, that was go ahead. If you were crewing this, you might not necessarily go down the No Hands Bridge to view the race. You might start in Auburn, and if you started in Auburn, yeah. it wouldn't really matter that that road was closed because you wouldn't go that way anyway. Correct. Gotcha. Got, okay, so my okay. second part to that question was, um, you know, a lot of a lot of races have this laid out for you or even like um, GPX files or Google maps. Like how did you figure out how to get around Corinne? Yes. So I did use, and where did you pull those from? He sent me actually pins to the places mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I needed to be. I think it was in the runner's guide. Uh, yeah. I just did research um, beforehand exactly where those eight stations were found the parking spot and then sent her those pins about how to get there proactively. Okay. I want to make sure it was as easy for her as possible. So I pre-scouted it uh, kind of via well, Apple That Maps. was nice of you, Graham. <laughs> he, mentioned, he mentioned it the first. He's, I know, I know. So that's good. So Graham, is that information, is that information somewhere that people can find? Or did you really have to like, was that laid out for you on the website or was that something you so I just basically figured out on the map where these places were. And then I compared that with like Google maps or Apple maps, figured out, you know, like, okay, okay here's that parking lot that's on this map that UTMB is showing or Canyon's website showing. And then I just pinned it there and sent it to her. Oh my gosh. That awesome. seems like a lot of legwork. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I know you runners. I really you guys right. have it made. So then, so then Corinne, you, you make it the driver's flat mm-hmm. and, and Graham, flat. you're I on your way. Four driver's flat. So on my way to driver's flat, I had a Wait. while. I had a, what, a couple hours before I was going <laughs> to need to be there again. So I was, once I made sure I was going to be there in plenty of time, I actually, um, on the way there, there were a number of pull-off spots and one of them, there was a porta potty and I kind of thought it might have been an aid station that was not driver's flat. And so I pulled off there. When I pulled off, another car pulled off and they were also <laughs> crewing. And I said, hey, are you guys you know, crewing? What are you looking? Where are you trying to go? And they were like, we're trying to intercept our runner before driver's flat. And I said, oh, that'd be cool to be able to do. And they're like, I think up here at the next turnoff, you can do that. So I did go to like just a turnoff a couple of miles before driver's flat. And I parked and walked in and I was able to see him maybe how long before you got to driver's flat, a couple miles. Three miles? Three miles before. This was not a designated crew spot, not a designated aid station. It was just easy access from the highway off to where the trail goes. So how did he look? Were you? (laughs) (laughs) This was, so I saw... And I was starting to count because I wanted to tell him where he was relative to his age group. And I started to okay. like know those numbers and then look them up and see where they were and, and like check it against the live tracker. So I saw, you know, like number, I don't know, probably the men from probably like 13th place through 18th place come in before him. I saw the lead female um and every single person i saw at this area was hurting it was (laughs) it was okay an exposed climb super hot everyone Mm. either was saying like i am struggling so bad they were walking they were dehydrated they were like oh my god how far to the next aid station so everybody was very very hot and very very like because that last aid station before drivers is is that mammoth bar mammoth bar yeah yeah and that's 40.4 so they had you had a good eight miles of climbing talk about yeah. that section <laughs> yeah it's just i mean <laughs> bar, so i'd come in there uh and there were a couple people it was already hot um that road out of no hands bridge is really exposed it, it, it was probably 90 already um oh, so very wow. hot um, so people were coming in there and there was a couple people actually just laying at that aid station. Um, so yeah, I was tough already. And then the woman kind of grabbed me on the way out and I'd gotten all wet with a kind of like an ice rag. Um, and she said, Hey, just a heads up this next section, oh. you know, no one's talking about it, but it is the toughest section and it's all exposed. And I kind of just, you know, was like, and that's to Clementine. It's no, it's to, it was from Mammoth Bar to Driver's Flat. Um, and I was like, I kind of fluffed it off. Like, Hey, you know, I'm sure she's saying that to everybody. I'm not too worried about this. I've seen the map. It doesn't look that bad, but it is just gnarly. It's a couple thousand feet of climbing. It's, um, very exposed, very steep. And I mean, I passed multiple people off to the side throwing up at that point. It was just just rough. Um, yeah. It looks like when you get to the top of that climb, it's just a bunch of punchy little climbs. It so is. you're not done. Right. Exactly. 
Yeah. And there's no end until the hate station. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, Corinne, you said you got to see him a few miles before that aid station. You mm-hmm. saw some people coming through completely annihilated. Mm-hmm. What was your thought in seeing him come through? Was possibly in the same condition or how did he look? Yeah. Um, I mean, he kept a pretty good attitude the whole race. I mean, maybe until the very, very end. But <laughs> uh, he was, I mean, he looked like he was working really hard and he looked like he was tired um, and hot. And so he's like, oh my God, this is, you know, this is brutal. And I said, well, everybody else is in the same boat, you know, mm-hmm. and Correct. everybody's saying the same thing. And so I was able to just talk to him and he was like, you know, when I come into the next one, I think I'm going to need this, 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 and we're going to need to do this. So I could kind of get prepped, um, which was helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Graham, do you wear anything? A lot of people do like the ice hats or the ice around their neck or anything like that. Do you wear sleeves or anything? Yeah. So I had sleeves, sun sleeves um, that mm-hmm. were working well. And I had, I had gotten them wet at Mammoth Bar. There's no water after Mammoth Bar, so you can't re-wet yourself at all. Um, and then I had ice in my sleeves. I had a little bit of ice in my hat. And then I had a Nathan makes this really amazing bandana that has a zipper. And then you just open it up and mm-hmm. fill it full yep. of ice and then tie it around mm-hmm. you. Um, and I had that full of ice as well. So, I mean, I did a good job of getting cold and wet on at the last aid station, but it's just long and a lot of uphill. So all of it had pretty much melted out by the time I got to even just to see her three miles out. So did you pass a lot of people that were just kind of, I just wore sunscreen kind of thing. I mean, they weren't really prepared or were, were most people prepared in that sense? I mean, everybody knew, like everybody had said before, like, you know, it's going to be hot and, you know, there could be a record high that day. Um, So I think a lot of people knew, but I did pass. I passed three people who were all, two of them were getting sick and the other one was just kind of standing in the shade. So, um, yeah, I think there were some people who underestimated it. Sure. Rightfully so. Okay. So, so you roll into driver's flat, Corinne, you're ready to roll with the ice and everything else to, yeah. Can you talk us through that? Important to note, driver's flat, um, you park off of the side of the road, but you have a good half mile to walk oh, down. Okay. They, they did not allow, Note to self. Yes, they did not allow cars all the way down. So um, that was a haul, and I was carrying water in, like big jugs of water. And so it was heavy and long and um and it's a downhill, so then it's an uphill on the way back. So you definitely would want like, I mean, if you had like a wagon, if you have heavy stuff, that'd be helpful for sure at that age. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. you kind of get all the way down there. And then I was just setting up, um, trying to find shade, not a lot of shade down there. So I was just like trying to set up a little area. Um, all of the aid stations were very well stocked. They had plenty of ice. They had plenty of you know, food and beverages and everything. I mean, these are the same volunteers that do Western States. And so in my experience from running the race the year before, they know they are some of the best volunteers. They know what, what's coming to the aid station. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so I was just kind of setting up and getting ready. This is where being around other people is helpful. Like this guy was like my runner's not going to be in for a while. So if you want to use my chair, because I didn't have a chair and he wanted to change shoes. So you help each other nice. out and borrow, borrow things. Um, I saw Addie Bracy and the guy she was running with come in together. And most of the people that came in while I was waiting for Graham 
spent some time there, took their time, mm -hmm. which, you know, I was like, makes sense. And he did the same thing. Yep. He's like, I want to do a full reset, sit down, change shoes, change socks, eat. So, um, yeah, I was ready for that when, uh, when he came in. Yeah. yeah. What do you, I just, from the, another side question was what, do you remember what food was at those aid stations? Just so people kind of know and can prepare in the sense, was there like from full spectrum of meat to vegan options? Do you remember? I don't remember a lot of like meat, um, but like they definitely had like bean burritos. They had like actually pita and hummus at one of them, nice. which is kind of cool. Um, I typically don't okay. eat a lot of that stuff. I I'm usually pretty in and out. Like I'll grab just like a big piece of watermelon, just go. Um, okay. So they had lots of fruit. Um, and then I think the aid station volunteers were really great from the standpoint of, you know, you're coming in pretty fried already, especially when you don't have your crew there. So they were making suggestions. Hey, we've got this and we've got this and we've got peanut butter and jelly and we've got this, you know, what do you want? Um, so they were pretty dialed with all that stuff. So it was a big spread um, in terms of aid station options. Um, and and what was and the liquid? The one thing <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> uh, so they used <laughs> Um, yep. N-A-A-K. It's a Canadian company. Um, oh, I tried their uh, hydration drink previous to the race and decided full full stop. I was not going to use it. Um, it just did not sit well with me. Uh, it has protein in it, which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, so it just didn't didn't work for me. So I, I was carrying, I was basically just getting water and I carried scratch, little tiny packets, and I would just empty a okay. scratch the aid station people do it they would fill up the water put the scratch in i'd shake it up put it in that would be that oh interesting awesome so so graham you roll into driver's flat you do a full reset um corinne talk us through that crew experience were you were you nervous or i mean you guys are experienced you've done this before yeah i don't know i've seen graham in some pretty bad conditions <laughs> and he's seen me in some really bad conditions so i was just trying to stay calm and um take care of him and do whatever, you know, he needed, get him cooled down, get him some caffeine, do things that I know work for him in that kind of environment. So ginger ale is always good for him when it's hot. So just trying to get some calories in him, ask him and make sure that he was still eating. Um, changing socks was like, could probably do that a little bit more smoothly. It's yeah. hard to change socks oh, when yeah. your feet are oh. wet and yes. you wear two socks. And <laughs> You don't have towels, so I don't know. We could get a, we could get a little more dialed on the shoe changing front. Yeah. Um, but in general, you know, just uh, encouragement, and you know, you're you're more than three quarters of the way through the race. Mm -hmm. Everybody because is struggling from right now, uh, that kind of thing. And I kind of told him also where he was from a age group standpoint because, like, he kind of wanted to know that. And I thought there was a good chance I thought he could maybe catch a couple of the people in his age group. Awesome. So at this point, where exactly were you sitting in the race? I think it was about 20th male, 20th male overall. And I think nice. he was um, I think fourth, in my age fourth or fifth in his age group, oh, yeah, um, which there Stellar. was a runner in his age group, 40 to 44, that was in the top seven for most of wow. the race, okay. who he ended up beating. Yeah. That's how bad. Nice. Yeah, you did. Nice job, this, some The driver's flat was... Like that was like the crux. There were a lot of people who really fell off there. Yeah. 
because it Can looks like from driver's flat to Clementine, you have some of those punchy little climbs and then you hit 56, 57 and it's just home stretching. Yeah. So like kind of downhill. It was, it's so on the map, it doesn't show it very well. So, you know, punchy on the way up and, you know, it was a little punchy on the after driver's flat, but it was a net down for sure. Much more uh-huh. runnable, smooth. It was also um, deeper in the forest. So you didn't get the direct sunlight. So it was a nice. much better running experience after driver's flat. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, like I was pretty fried. I went out a little hot in the beginning of the day, you know, it's late in the race. I couldn't run, um, as much as I wanted to. I was definitely hiking a lot of the uphills at that point. Um, but if you, <clears throat> if you still had legs, you could have really torched that. Yeah. So this is where you pass people. Did you pass yeah. people on that or were you passing people on that? Um, down no, road? I passed people around the Clementine aid station. It turns into road. And it's a very fast oh. downhill. You drop about 300 feet per mile. And I was running, okay. I was running like 815, 830 pace at that point. It's just wow. easy, just kind of letting gravity do it. And a lot of people were walking that place. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. That's nice free work. speed. So, yeah. so Corinne, after he leaves driver's flat, mm-hmm. was it a... Yeah, where a, do you see him next? Well, a sigh, I was just going to ask if it was like a sigh of relief where he reset, you knew he was going to get to the finish and... Yeah, I, I, mean, I was pretty confident he was going to finish at that point. He, nice. you know, he, he left not not like in a great <laughs> state, but he left. I pretty and... much got kicked but... out of there. Corinne was like, "Go, just go. <laughs> absolutely, you're yeah. on, you're on the clock." Sir. So, so note to all the crews out there: kick your runner out of mm-hmm. driver's flat, get him going. I mean, yep. yes, driver's flat's a tough. <laughs> one. Uh, but remind them that there's some runnable. Like it's not going to be all climbing and there's some sections that, you know, are going to feel maybe more relaxed or whatever. And then, yep. And then I packed up, hauled everything out and then drove back to uh, Auburn to the finish line. And that's, so he has roughly, yeah, you got a little bit of time, 13 miles or or 13, 14 miles of the finish. So there's a little bit of time. Okay. And it, I mean, it's, you know, I was pretty fried. So it took me, it took me a while. took me a while. Understandable. I mean, I'm impressed, you know, sitting at the place you're sitting at running fantastically from me being a runner and hearing this. That's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to hear about the the finish. So drop Clementine 300 feet a mile. Impressive that you're running 815. I think I would have been one of the walkers. You would have probably whizzed right by me. Um, yeah, it looks like you come down to the bottom and then there's a bit of a punchy climb coming back up into Auburn and then to the finish. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's, I mean, after Nohan's Bridge and like I heard about Western States, but you don't hear about the finish finish. You always hear about like people running through the neighborhoods and stuff. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. it's a thousand foot climb from Nohan's Bridge to Roby Point yeah. in not very long. And I had no idea. Uh, I mean, I had seen it on the map, but it's it's a steep uh, hiking climb. Yep. And that's road. Um, no, no that's, uh, down to no hands was road. And then as soon as you leave no hands, you go back to trail dirt and Rocky gotcha. for a, mi- a mile or so. And then it gets onto a wider dirt road with some rocks, it's but like a fire road. it's almost like a fire road. And then Roby mm-hmm. point, then you are on pavement again from yeah. to the finish exposed. And I've done a, so I work out there and I've visited now that I'm a runner. I've ran that section across no hands bridge and come back out. And I think the pitchiest part is right before the gate 
coming up on top of Roby. Yes. And Agreed. you're just like, man, this never ends. Yes, absolutely. It's deep. And that, yeah, and that rock all mm -hmm. day long has mm -hmm. just been sucking in that heat. Yeah. And yeah. reflecting. Not to Brutal. mention pavement. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, so to kind of bring this full circle, like I think the main questions to ask is, what'd you guys do? Well, Corinne, you made it back okay. Oh, in time for sorry, the finish. <laughs> yeah, I made it back in plenty, in plenty of time. Plenty. Um, okay. Yes, I, I, you know, I a little bit before that when he actually finished because he struggled the last few miles. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I was just waiting for him at the finish and saw some of the. I got to saw, see David finish. He ended up in sixth or fifth. Fifth or sixth, yeah. yeah. Saw the lead, theme, the top, the podium women finish. Um, and that was just, that was a cool environment. I, I think, you know, having finished at China Wall, that was a really cool environment, but it's a little bit of a smaller area. Um, and so being okay. in Austin, I do see the appeal of like, you can get way more people out there. There's a bunch of restaurants. People can just be hanging out and having lunch and then cheering runners in. So um, it was cool to just kind of be around a whole bunch of other people watching people finish. Um, and then you also had 100 milers finishing at the same time. Um, so that was, you know, like it was pretty, it was pretty like bustling at the finish line. Um, nice. Yeah. Then was, yeah, saw him. That's so fun. And, it was good. So we want to hear about the the six fifteen mile that you dropped coming into the finish. No, no, no. Nope. It was like a, like a eleven minute mile. I mean, I was just at that point, I was oh. really, really done. Um, and yeah, okay. it kind of took everything I had out of me to uh, get across the finish line. I, I kind of, sort of collapsed across the finish line on the Corin. Um, so I, I was, uh, I was fully done. You left it out there. Done. I left That's it all awesome. Yeah. yeah, but let's be real. 11 minute mile is still fast, especially after 64 miles yeah. of running. That's that's quick. You were still moving, so hats off. Yeah, thanks. Um so, yeah, let's just we're I I, I want to ask two things. Full circle. Um is there anything else like grandma Corinne that someone should know whether it's from start to finish or anything in between about what to do, where to eat, um, some, some high points about crewing that people are kind of like, just know a, B and C, or, um, just kind of the overall Intel that you want someone to know. And, and if there isn't, there's no right or wrong answer. I just know that there's a takeaway at the end of this for someone, if anything. Yeah, I think that um, if they keep the course the way it is for next year, it's a it's a very crew friendly course. Hopefully, they will allow a crew stop in that thirty four mile section. If they don't, you know, just making sure that your runner has everything that they need at Cool Two um, to be gone for a while, and um, and then heat mitigation. I think you don't, I don't know that you need to bring, unless your runner has really specific needs, you might be able to use a lot of what the aid station already has. And they were pretty open to me going over and using their ice and using their water and stuff like that. So it wasn't oh, good in at, you know, UTMB in Europe where like you cannot go get anything for your runner. They were a little bit more friendly mm -hmm, than mm -hmm. uh, also very good medic medical all the way. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's a, I do think it's a, 
it's a fun race to crew and you're able to see your runner at a lot of different spots without going too far away. That's awesome. Um, and then just my last question is before you guys even started, like nutritional wise, did you guys stop at a grocery store or anything like that and gather a bunch of stuff or were you just going to use aid station supplies? Yeah. Um, so we did stop, uh, at a grocery store and got, um, so like I like to drink Dr. Pepper and ginger ale out there. Um, so we got some of that. Um, yeah. Um, we had, we got a bucket. We did have a bucket. Yeah. For Corinne to be able to put water and ice in. Um, I think we ended up. Oh, smart. What do you wait? Explain more on that. A bucket, Uh, like a deep bucket, an ice cream bucket. Yeah, and that was like just like a small like you know bucket you would use to mop your floor with or something cheap. It was yeah. like two bucks. Okay. Um, and yeah. so she had filled it up when I came into driver's flat with ice and water, and then was able to just be cooling me down as I was doing stuff like eating and changing shoes and all. That. She was just kind of constantly putting water and ice. On I me. had some towels, a few, oh, towels, few yeah. cooling towels that yeah. I brought from home that I could soak. Genius. So that you could just lay them on his arms and head while he's sitting there. Genius. Yeah. I love yeah. that idea. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's, yeah. I mean, that's something that's exactly the stuff that people need to hear because you won't even think about that stuff. And it's, Which... it's a little more comfortable than him going over and getting cooled by the aid station and having to stand there. Like while we're changing his shoes, he can just have sure. cold stuff on him. So that's we're sponging off with a sponge. Everybody else has used yeah. Yeah. like Havelina, I'm sure. I, mean, I think like, <laughs> having lens wipes or eyeglass cleaner is, yeah. even though it kind of sounds like a, roofy thing. I think when you're getting wet or you're sweating and you're wearing your sunglasses all day, it's, it's really like nice to get them cleaned off. Yeah. (laughs) So that's absolutely, I would say bring that maybe some people don't think about, um, we had squirrels nut butter too, just cause I knew it was going to be wet a lot and chafing a lot. Um, so I put Mm -hmm. some more on at that aid station as well. So I was glad we had that. Mm Um, Graham, are you a, are you a, um, lather up the feet, put on your sock, lather up your sock again, kind of guy or either of you. I mean, since you're both runners, um, you you know, blister problems. No, I don't typically get blisters. I did get a small blister on this one. I actually think it was from like having like a little rock or something in my shoe. Um, I wear toe socks, um, which tends to help with the blisters. Um, so I don't typically even have to change socks. I just, I had this little blister going and it was bugging the heck out of me. And, mm-hmm. you know, at this point I was ready to do like anything to start feeling better. So new shoes, new socks sounded pretty good. Um, so, but yeah, I didn't actually put any squirrels nut butter on my feet. It was just other areas. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So cool. I think we can kind of start to close it out. So you finish shower after after race festivities collapse on the bed <laughs> or go down to the finish and have a few beers and watch other people finish because what time did you actually finish graham like what time of day was that it was like four forty-five. so you still had a full evening of rest recovery meals yep. beverages okay yeah. yeah which is i mean which is nice yeah it was and our friend had run a hundred mile the hundred mile distance so he was done, and so we met up with him and at that same pizza place. It's it's Pizzeria Luba, L U B A Luba. Yeah. Oh, and it was awesome. And that's awesome. in Auburn. We'll put that in the notes. In, in Auburn. In Auburn. Like maybe a quarter mile from the finish line, so right there. Oh, um, sweet. Oh, sweet. It was awesome. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, we had a couple beers, we had some pizza. Um, I'm usually kind of buzzy after finishing long races. <laughs> um, I think I also do a lot of caffeine out there too. So it took yeah. a little while to kind of relax and kind of just chill out. But you know, we Come watched, down off your high. Yeah, exactly. Watched like movies for an hour or two, and then finally was able to go to sleep. Did you guys so, stay another night, or did you head home? Uh, we stayed that evening after the race finished, and then our flight was out pretty early, like at nine fifteen the next morning. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, Corinne, how did you feel after a full, <laughs> eventful day of crewing? Yeah, you're. I mean, you're always tired. Like everybody says this, but I think it is very important as a crew to remember to eat, drink a lot, stay hydrated. If you can take a, a short nap during the day, like that's really helpful. Get out of the heat, you know, whether it's just sitting in the car, um, maybe bring, make sure you either have a car charger or like a battery pack or some kind of extra. Cause if you're, if you're doing filming or taking a bunch of pictures, you don't want your phone to die. So that's always something helpful to have. But, um, yeah, I was, I mean, I was just really excited that he, you know, he had finished. And so you're kind of in the celebratory mood. Um, but it's a long day. It's a, you're out there all day, you're on your feet. So, you know, just take care of yourself too. Hot. Yeah. For sure. Nice. I think, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's a good amount of details. I think that's, yeah, I think that, concludes or at least wraps up. Yeah. That was a great conversation. And, and honestly, we, we thought it may be a half hour, but we're, we're well deep into over and we appreciate you guys taking the the time and to go a little bit over the, the hour that we scheduled and we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, do you guys have anything else that you were just kind of stumbling upon right now? Or did you guys think you got covered everything? No, I mean, I think that was it. I mean, I, I think from a from a running standpoint, it's a really pretty course with lots of, I mean, there was a lot of fast running out there. Was, there was a lot of smoothness to some of the trails. Um, it's, you're running around American River a ton, which is absolutely mm-hmm. gorgeous. Um, so you mm-hmm. keep seeing it over and over. And uh, so from like a scenic standpoint, I mean, it's a pretty fantastic race um, mm-hmm. from that regard. It's It's beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely recommend it. I think they do a good job um, overall of kind of keeping a little bit more more of an Auburn feel, you know, versus like this is a UTMB race, you know, and that comes down to a lot of the people involved. I mean, somebody ran out of the No Hands Bridge aid station. The aid station captain ran out with Graham, was running next to him, telling him what was coming up ahead of him on the climb. And so, you know, you do get a lot of that really personal people care a lot which is great yeah it's awesome awesome and i think I you know, trying to get stones for utmb trying to get into that race i know is a goal for a number of people uh, i ended up getting third in my age group and getting an invite Congrats. to utmb for 24 so i got it done um so well part done. of the reason for being there was very successful so yeah that is that's awesome man congrats mm-hmm. yeah. that is so Thanks. cool so real quick from a from a hundred k perspective, is this is this a race that you would recommend to somebody jumping into their first hundred k or shooting for UTMB stones or a Western States qualifier? Would this be something that you know somebody coming off a fifty k? This would be a race that they would be able to do well enough to to finish and maintain those statuses. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, definitely a race. It's a little bit more challenging from the climbing standpoint. So if you're a mountain runner, um, it's not that much vert. If you're coming from more flatter areas, it might be it might be more vert than you want for a very first 100K. It also runs long. So like people were talking about having on their watch anywhere from 64 and a half to 66 miles. It's a pretty long yeah. race, especially for 100K. Yep. Um, so sure. yeah, I mean, I think if you want to go try to nail it and try to go top 10 or try to get, you know, Western States qualifier or something like that, it's a little bit of a race that you might want another one instead to start with to get that distance under your belt and then be able to go to this one and really know what you're getting into. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of 50, 50 on whether or not it would be a good starting hundred K. Yeah. I think okay. something like a black Canyon hundred K or a Havelina hundred K smart um, might be more entry distance entry friendly than this one. Perfect. But if you like climbing and descending, then this one's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we can, uh, yeah, we can end on that. So Graham and Corinne Shalboy, thanks for, for joining us Yeah. on this first rendition of the ultra crew hub podcast. Yeah. I so. think you guys gave a lot of information. I think that's great because I think that's exactly what people need, especially the bucket thing, Corinne. I know that was kind of at the end, but I think that's genius. I mean, that's something people need to know. Um, from the get-go and i think that'll provide a lot of insight for how to handle that heat so yeah. thank you awesome. good job thank you guys well for having us. super yeah. fun yeah, to chat thank- about it yeah for sure thank i know you it kind of so it kind of rejoggles those memories i'm sure once you you know it's been a while <laughs> since you've had to do all that and you're kind of like oh yeah that did happen sure. <laughs> so all right thank you well, both we appreciate it all right everyone well there you have it I want to give a huge shout out to Graham and Corinne Shavoy for spending a little bit of time with us this afternoon and providing us with some valuable information for all of you listeners out there that you can take into your next Canyons 100K. 